huge aspect of this, this course really is around the subject of freedom. And Paul says in Galatians that it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. That the goal of salvation is actually that we're free indeed. That when we become believers and followers of Jesus, we don't just invite Jesus into our life. He invites us into his life. And I like what our friend Pete Carter says, and God is infinite and God is eternal. So that's a huge life. That's a huge life. And that's a huge amount of freedom. And Paul in um, Corinthians says, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In other words, where the Holy Spirit is Lord, freedom is the evidence of his lordship. He's a wonderful king, he's a lord, he's a king, and he brings us into freedom. What an incredible king he is. So a wonderful thing about Jesus, and maybe you don't know Jesus this morning, and he invites you into freedom. Let me say that no, no other God is going to do that. Actually, the Bible's pretty clear that every other God will bind you up and make you its slave, and produce things like fear, anxiety, Jesus sets you completely free from all those things. So, he's a wonderful, amazing king. Freedom is the state of not being enslaved or imprisoned by anything. And we sang about that in that song, I am no longer a slave to fear. That's freedom. But we don't have to be in fear. We don't have to be enslaved, imprisoned by anything. Hebrews 12 talks about we can cast off every hindrance and every weight. We don't have to be slowed down by anything. And so these um, sessions on wholehearted living is really about entering into the freedom that God has won for us in Christ. And God wants us to be completely free. He wants every single believer to actually be able to love themselves and to like themselves. He wants every believer free in who they are and who they're created to be. Every believer being able to say, I am fearfully, I am wonderfully amazed, I am amazing. He wants every believer to know the love of the Father. That there be no kind of mindsets or blockages to us actually experiencing the kindness, the goodness, the affection, the love, the goodness of the Father. He wants us to be who he made us to be. He wants you to know who you are and why you're on the planet. That you celebrate your part in the body. That you know who you are. He wants you clear on your identity. He wants to cause you to know where you belong. He wants you to step into your destiny and to dream really, really bold, big, gigantic dreams with confidence knowing that that dream was birthed in a relationship with God, because God gives you the desires of your heart. And that when you hang around the good father, you're going to catch some of his dreams, and your, his dreams are going to become your dreams. And uniquely, he wants you to share your dreams with him too. Great freedom to dream. Great freedom and courage to be able to connect with one another. That masks would be removed. There'd be no fear, no shame, no performing. Mm. Church is a funny, funny place. (laughs) It really is a funny place where 
some reason people suppress who they really are to just fit in and wear masks. <clears throat> but freedom is, I'm going to let you see me. And your strength is going to touch me. And my strength is going to touch you. For me, the whole quest for freedom has been a, a huge one. Like I've shared many times, my own personal story of, of struggling at times with high levels of fear, high levels of anxiety, and wanting to see that stronghold break. Because I knew that perfect peace, there's perfect joy, and there's perfect life in God. And I, I knew that what I was experiencing fell far short of what God had on offer. And I wanted to pursue that and te- see t- strongholds torn down. And I was watching a, a, a talk on, on Bethel TV about 18 months ago. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a round table discussion. And one of the leaders there, Chris Ballerton, said that he had watched a talk by a lady called Brené Brown. Talking about her research. Talking about her discoveries of, of, of how there were people who were were free from fear, who were free from shame, and that these people were practising ten particular traits, ten particular disciplines, ten particular habits or resolutions or practices. She interviewed thousands and thousands of people and found that they're all pretty much practising these various things that we see on this card. And And I was really intrigued by the freedom that she was talking about. And so I bought all her books and read them in about a month. Because <laughs> I just was so hungry thinking, this lady has discovered something, only to discover that when you read her books and then go back and read the Bible, it was all there. That Paul and Jesus and were, were all living with, with, obviously, Jesus' amazing, amazing myth of freedom. And it was right through the Bible. So what we're doing is we're, we've taken a doctor's research to create some lenses to look back at the Bible again and to discover that really she didn't need to interview 12,000 people, that it was all there. But sometimes it takes someone just using slightly different language that helps us to go and find the treasure that was there all along. And so that's what we're going to do. There's a writer called Graham Cook who used this phrase that really gripped my attention. God doesn't do magic. God doesn't do magic. That there there isn't an impartation of freedom that replaces our daily choices. And I hated that sentence that God didn't do magic because I wanted him to do magic. Because when you're struggling with anxiety or fear or worry and it grips you, the thing you most want is a magician to come and click his fingers and come and do something so all the pain would just immediately go away. And... See, the reality is you can cast out a spirit pretty easily. The demonic, when it 
oppressors or imprisoned, to see the demonic broken is actually really, really, really easy. Because Jesus is, is, is huge. And the comparison between Jesus and the demonic isn't even that Jesus is a nuclear explosion and the demonic is an ant. Because even that gets nowhere close to the difference between King Jesus and the demonic. They're not even on the same... They're not even in the same spectrum. He's so superior. He is the infinite, eternal, glorious creator God who rules and reigns spectacularly over everything and through his life, death and resurrection has absolutely conquered the demonic realm completely and made a public spectacle of it, Colossians said. That's what they used to do when conquering kings would go to a land and conquer. They used to march the vanquished, defeated king through the streets and be chained up and the whole of that city would celebrate the victory of a king. And that's what Jesus has done over over Satan. Actually, that's what Jesus has done over death. And that's what Jesus has done over sin. And that's what Jesus has done over the demonic. So we are to have no fear or superstitious anxiety around the demonic. None whatsoever. So you can cast out a spirit, but you can't cast out a mindset. So I have experienced power encounters with God where demonic oppression was broken. Yes. Immediately broken. But I still had to co-labour with God yes. in a process. There was still a process of transformation that something had to be worked out in process. Otherwise you can be touched by God again and again and again and again and again but left unchanged. And that's sometimes why some people become cynical and unbelieving because they think God's let them down. It was actually God can touch in a moment powerfully, but strongholds need to be torn down and strongholds need to be taken captive. And sometimes strongholds have emotions attached to them where we've lived with fear and anxiety all our lives. And that's the way we see ourselves and life and our circumstances and other people and everything. And then you say, um, I'm no longer a child of fear. Uh, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. And you think, no, I don't need to live in fear anymore. Well, that's going to sometimes take some process for your emotions to catch up with what is biblically true. And sometimes we stop short of casting out or or, or transforming a mindset because of the pain and the emotions that are attached to a way of thinking. And so what we're going to be doing over these six months, number of months, is we're looking at practices and things that we can cultivate and things that we can let go, things that we can do, that we're going to see some real change. My... I think in certain areas of your life, you just know that you've got an assignment from God. And you know that you've got authority because you've experienced something in your own life. I would say to you from my own story, there is no stronghold, there is no mindset, there is no way of thinking that the gospel cannot transform. Honestly, really, really true for each and every one of you, whatever it is... That you know, I, I want to be more free in that because I want to move into that. God can do it yeah. as you co-labor with him in process. Yeah. Honestly, he can do it. Yeah. I've experienced it. So I can say it to every single believer, you can be free 
and you can be free indeed. So meaningful and purposeful change requires us to co-labour with God by developing habits and practices, things that we do over and over and over again, just the things that we do. That we find that in Joshua 1a, that God talks to Joshua and says, Joshua, you can actually make your way prosperous and you can make your way successful. You are that powerful. You are that powerful. And one of the things to repent of sometimes is I am a victim. That I'm a victim of my experience or I'm a victim of my past or I'm a victim of my circumstances. You are not a victim you can make your way prosperous and successful in God. And it says, God says to Joshua, keep this book of the law in Joshua 1.8, always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The ESV says you will make your way prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So it's like God is saying to Joshua, I'm going to give you some balloons that you're going to cultivate. And, and one of those is you're going to keep meditating on the book of the law. You're going to meditate on it. You're going to mutter it. You're going to keep repeating the promises, repeating the prophetic, repeating what God says about you. And Joshua, I want you to let go. I want you to let go of fear. I want you to let go of discouragement. And I want you to cultivate courage. So it's like, cultivate the balloon of courage, give yourself to courage, let go of discouragement, let go of fear, cultivate the practice of meditating on scripture, and let go of speaking to yourself fearful words, defeated words, hopeless words. So we can see all the way through the Bible, the men and the women of faith all had this practice. They gave themselves to certain practices and they let go of other practices. They gave themselves to developing certain mindsets and they broke certain mindsets off. And we can see it all the way through the Bible. So Brenny Brown tapped into what people of scripture have been doing for, for centuries and thousands of years. Says David, when he was confronted with a hopeless situation, strengthened himself in the Lord. He gave himself to practices that connected him to God and connected him to the strength that's in God. So, number one is, you are much more powerful than you realise. This thing can come down. This thing can change. It might have been the way you thought for decades. But you can declare in your own heart, now is the time for it to come down. I'm not going to live with it any longer. And so God wants to give us priorities and practices, things that we cultivate that lead to wholehearted living... Wholehearted living could be called freedom in practice. It's what we're talking about here. Wholeheartedness and freedom are the same thing. He wants to give us things that become food to our soul. So that we've not just got the theory of freedom, but the practice of freedom. Not just the theory of wholeheartedness, but the reality of wholeheartedness. Not just that we come on Sunday and we sing some songs about being free, but this afternoon we're free. Tomorrow we're free. And we're going to show the world what freedom looks like. And so, 
We're going to look at a couple of things just in the heart part of it. Under this whole section is going to be called cultivating love, connection and belonging. So freedom is not just that I am experiencing freedom inside my heart. All freedom always gets outworked in community and connection with other people. All freedom always outworks itself in relationship with people. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit are always relational fruit. Joy, peace, love. We can look at them in Galatians um, 5. These are the fruit of being around Holy Spirit. This is about a relationship with God. If you hang around somebody, they rub off on you. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not a project that we say, right, I need to become more peaceful, I'm going to work at peace. It's not just this year I'm working on joy. Actually, the Holy Spirit is all these things all the time in absolute perfection. And so as we hang around him and sow to him and walk by him, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are all the qualities of hanging around the person of God. To truly connect and truly belong is yours and mine most fundamental need. Our greatest need is to truly connect to other people, to truly love and be loved, and to truly belong. And that where we don't truly connect, truly belong, receive and give love, we we actually suffer. That's what the research of Brenny Brown revealed to, 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 to many people around the world, that when people don't connect, belong, they actually suffer. And that suffering can be experienced with the kind of intensity that we suffer when we physically suffer. That's the kind of damage it can do when we're isolated, not connecting, and not belonging. And we can then find the writer to the Hebrew saying, don't forsake meeting together as some of you have got into the habit of doing. Because Paul is, or may believe the writer there is Paul, saying that when you don't connect, when you don't receive love, when you don't love, when you're not connected to other people, you're, you're, you're vulnerable and you suffer. That's why he talks about the church being a body, being interconnected body, the grace flowing between the members. Because we must connect, we must belong, we must be seen, we must celebrate ourselves and we must celebrate other people. We need to receive strength and we need to give strength. And so the absence of connection, the absence of belonging, the absence of of, of being in relationship with people causes us to suffer. Now because we need so desperately to truly belong and to connect, what many of us do because of the fear of disconnection or the fear of rejection is that we pretend and perform to fit in. So the cycle is, I must fit in, I need to fit in, I need to belong, I need to connect. But because we're so fearful of not belonging, not connecting, we perform. We just try to fit in 
then we cease being really seen. This is, this is huge for the church. There probably isn't an organisation, as it were, on the planet where human beings fall into performing and trying to fit in like the church. Amen. Amen. Like, one of the traits of the church can be, don't be authentic, don't let anybody see that you're weak. What's the answer? It's Jesus. Just, just give the answer. Don't let anybody know that you struggle, that you've got doubts, that you're wrestling with anything. Don't let anybody, for goodness sake, let anybody know that you have sinned. Because there's this terrible fear that if anybody saw that I am just a human being, I won't fit in here, I won't belong here, so I must not be seen. And we'll talk about this next month, is, is, is about shame and the fear that I am so uniquely flawed that I can never connect and that I can never belong. Yeah. And church can be one of the greatest shame-inducing triggers for men and women. Yeah. That it, n- n- hospitals where people are dealing with mental health issues are often full of people who are absolutely terrified that they are so fundamentally, basically flawed that God doesn't want them, people don't want them, and they just can't hold it together anymore and perform and pretend. So the kind of community that we are building is is about authenticity. I'm letting go of what people think. I'm going to be seeing It's a powerful thing. It's why we want to emphasise community groups. It's why we love worshipping together as a family on a Sunday. There's something powerful about journeying with ten other people where you are known and seen. So this is a huge thing for London. This is a huge thing for London about deciding I am going to journey with a family and I'm not going to run away when I realise that the family's not perfect. Yes. Amen. 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 Because of what happens in London because there's so much choice. Yeah. I see it all the time. That, that maybe the, there's something in the family that people say, oh, the family's weaker than I realised. I'm, I'm going to look for another family that's stronger. Or I, I let the family see who I am and now I feel vulnerable and exposed. I'm going to run away and find a family where I'm not known anymore. Some believers spend decades moving around community, 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 never really known. But the greatest freedom is when people can see who I am and I can see who, I, who they are and we can journey this together. Yeah. It's hugely vulnerable and hugely uncomfortable, but this is where freedom is. Yeah. So we're going to look at one last thing. We're going to look at worthiness and identity to truly connect and belong and be seen just for who I am right now then the identity thing the worthiness thing becomes absolutely fundamental so when I, when I truly know I'm a son or I'm a daughter 
when I truly know that he sees me as I am and loves me, when I truly know that there are no skeletons in the closet with God because he lives in the closet with <laughs> When I truly know he just loves me and just enjoys me and has done something so, so spectacularly wonderful in the cross of Christ that means I am blameless and without blemish. When you know that, then you can journey with other people because there's no longer any need to perform and please and placate or plead or perfect or struggle or wrestle or try to get other people to like you because you know you're already loved, liked and celebrated. And that becomes a foundation then for all the relationships. Because I'm not wrestling, I'm not struggling, I'm not striving, I'm not trying to grasp something. I've got it already. Now you can see me on my journey with him. Yes. Now you can see him outwork his transformation process in real time. And I'm going to do it in community with other people. So the gift of worthiness then comes through a revelation of being chosen, of being adopted of being brought into an intimate relationship with the Father, of being connected to him, being able to cry out, Papa, Dad, Abba, Father, to know his protection, to know his provision, and to know the identity that he gives, to know that there is a person you can run to, the Father, who will protect you, who will provide for you, who will give you a revelation of your identity. That you are the beloved, you are beloved, you are loved with the same intensity of love that the Father loved Jesus. That kind of love. And Jesus had such an amazing revelation right at the beginning that he was loved. In Mark 1.11 it says, "This this is my son whom I love With you, I am well pleased. That was the launch pad of Jesus' whole ministry to the world was, I've got an identity, I am worthy. And God just wants that to settle in our hearts. You are my son, you are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. That's the gift that comes when you get invited into the life that Jesus has and you invite Jesus into your life. He is well pleased with you. Not if, not when, not some future version of you. Not saying to God, well, you'll love the future version of me because let me tell you about the future version of me. I don't struggle. I'm really great at prayer. I'm great at worship. I'm an amazing evangelist. I'm amazing at the Bible and I read it and understand it all. And I never make mistakes. I never get anything wrong and I never sin. You'll love the future version of me. The future version of me is coming, God, I think in around 45 years. (laughs) I would pre-order if I was you. I am well pleased with you right now. That's so key. Not if, not when. Now. Not you when you do your job better. Not you when you've got more courage. Not you when you've evangelised the people in your workplace and you feel, oh, I feel so bad because I feel so timid. 
let his love, just as you are, cause you to do the things you couldn't believe that you're able to, you'd ever be able to do. So Jesus has this wonderful launch pad of worthiness, of identity. I am loved. Before he's done absolutely anything. And it's this, it's this foundation that then we see in Jesus' life just enables him to navigate human relationships without being crushed by how people reacted and responded to him. Like, for example, remember the story where he, he's talking to people about the cross and about his body and about his blood. And he says to a whole crowd of disciples, well, you're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. I want to talk to you about the fact that what I'm going to do at the cross is is going to clean up your inside, it's going to make you a new creation, but what the language I'm going to use right now is you're going to have to eat me and drink me. And for Jewish minds listening to that, that's really offensive to talk about drinking blood and eating flesh, because there's so many... Uh, uh, laws and, and things around not doing those things. And so they're really, really, really offended by what Jesus says. And a whole crowd walk away mm-hmm. to the point where Jesus is just pretty much talking to the twelve and saying, are you going to go too? I mean, Jesus, you have built something incredibly spectacular right now and you've just blown it by this really, really bad preach. <laughs> That's what the commentators might have been thinking. Jesus, we're on a roll. We've got crowds. It's looking good. And you had to go and mention drink my blood and eat my flesh. (laughs) Now, the insecure person would say, say Jesus wasn't clear on his worthiness, his identity. The insecure person would say, quickly, disciples, run after the crowd and say, it was only a picture. It was only a picture, it was only a metaphor, catch them up, because they didn't understood what I meant. I want them to understand what I meant, because this thing is falling apart, isn't it? <laughs> Quickly tell them, run, run, they're going over the hill, tell them I didn't mean it. Or, I'll do it myself, this is really important, I'll catch them up. But Jesus doesn't, he just says to the twelve, are you going to go as well? He is so... Bold and courageous, and he has this internal culture of his heart that is so at rest and at peace that he's able to tell the truth, be rejected, be misunderstood, without the necessity to chase after, to please them, to placate them, and to plead with them. And so often in our own lives, we're just not secure inside. So we're always pleading with everybody, trying to please everybody, trying to convince everybody, so terrified about being rejected by anybody. But freedom is, I can be myself. We're not talking about being offensive and then saying, I don't care. We're just talking about you being yourself, me being myself. And if someone doesn't get it, not being so insecure and terrified that we modify ourselves and think, right, I just need to change the message of my life. Because obviously the message about my blood and the cross and everything is just going to offend people. So we better dial down on that. That's a good leadership lesson there we've learned. But he doesn't. He doesn't dial down on him. (laughs) He never dials down on who he is. He just is Jesus. All the time. 
Is Jesus when he's in the party and there's, the, there's, the, there's different people with sinful backgrounds coming in? Is Jesus when he's confronted by the Pharisees? Is Jesus in front of Pilate? Is Jesus in Gethsemane? It doesn't matter what pressure you put him in. He's got this world inside that just he is who he is because he knows I'm his son. He's well pleased with me. And I think that's what freedom is. Where we can say, I'm just going to be who I am. And I know we could say, but that's Jesus. And he's perfect. But we see that in the life of Paul as well. Yes. We see Paul. And we're finished with Paul. Because Paul has a very different beginning to Jesus. Paul is, 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 is zealous. He's religious. He's a persecutor. He's actually a murderer. So we can look at 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. Because we can see in Paul, he understood identity, he understood worthiness, and he understood the affection of the Father. And that launched him to huge fruitfulness and breakthrough. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. And for those of you who don't know, Paul, Paul was actually involved in, in the murder of believers. He was involved in the murder of Christians. He gave the approval to the stoning of Stephen in Acts when Stephen gives the most magnificent yeah. presentation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Paul is so furious with Stephen and his presentation of Jesus, he nods and gives approval to people to stone Stephen. He, he, he remembers his history. He went to Damascus to chuck Christians into prison. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him and says, you're persecuting me. And he has a revelation of Jesus he has a revelation that Jesus is God. He has a revelation that the disciples, the Christians, were telling the truth about Jesus. He's completely turned around and becomes a person who presents Jesus. He has all that history. He still remembers his history and thinks, I've been commissioned by Jesus to be this apostle, this sent one to the Gentiles, but I don't even deserve that. Because I murdered Christians, I threw them into prison, I opposed it, I've got a bad, bad background. So we can say, yeah, Jesus, you're really clear on your identity, I'm loved, and the Father's well pleased with me, because you're spotless, you're sinless. Although Hebrews says he was tempted in every way like us, but never sinned. He knew the struggle of humanity. He wrestled with temptation, but never yielded to it. And some could say he experienced the force and the weight of temptation beyond any human being, because he never, ever, ever gave into it. And so Paul says, this is my history. And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what what I am. That Paul allowed the grace of God to teach him about his identity. And too many of us say, I can never be worthy, I can never have an identity as a much-loved son, because my history is too broken, too sinful, too dirty. And so I'll always be second class. Yeah, I'm forgiven. Yeah, I'm on my way to heaven. But I'm somehow shamed and essentially flawed because of my history. And Paul, the apostle, says, no, I've got an awful history. I've got a terrible history. 
I'm a murderer, but I'm forgetting all of that to press into what he has got for me. And that's part of freedom, is saying the gospel of Jesus Christ draws a line under our pasts and draws a line under our history. That grace convinces us that we are beloved, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we've not done. Sometimes we present the gospel like this to people. We say to, the, to a worse sinner, come in, Jesus will make a way for you to be completely clean, to be completely spotless and completely start again. And that's correct. But when they accept the offer and come into the kingdom, and then they make a mistake and sin, we say, oh no, that now needs to be punished. You are now less than. You are now ostracised. You are now separated. Now the gospel is for the person who's coming into the kingdom and it's for the person who's in the kingdom and messes up. Because sometimes we say if you're here and just before you come to Jesus you can have all the mess in the world and he'll clean it up. But once you're in the kingdom and you make a mess there's no hope for you. You're shamed and essentially flawed and you can't connect. It's illogical. How many of your sins were future when Jesus died? All your sins. He paid the whole price for all of it. So Paul is saying, I will not allow my history, my weakness, my brokenness, my experience, my traumas, the things I've done, the things I've not done to define my identity. I will only allow the gospel to. And we see this wonderfully illustrated in Peter who is bold and courageous and saying, you're the Christ. And then he says to Jesus, you can't go to the cross. And so Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'm going to be so courageous. I'll go to the cross with you. A woman, a slave girl says to him, you're one of the disciples, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. He denies it. He's weaker than he realises. Jesus has to go and recommission him and catch up with him because he's run away and gone back fishing because he's so ashamed and feels he's not worthy any longer to connect and to belong and to follow Jesus. Or maybe he feels worthy to belong to him but not to serve him. And then we can think, oh, well, that's the end of the story then, that Peter is now this perfect man. No, we then read in Galatians that sometimes Peter would eat with the non-Jews But then when some people from James came, he disconnected himself from the Gentiles and only ate with the Jews. And you can say, what's that all about? It's because he wanted to please the important people from Jerusalem. He wanted to perform for them so that he could belong and connect and be worthy. And then he would reject everybody else. So Paul says, I had to stand up in front of everybody and confront Peter to his face and say, what you are doing, Peter, is undermining the gospel. Because you're saying, only these people can belong and these people can't belong. You are actually undermining the gospel. And in fact, you've actually tripped up Barnabas. What I'm saying is, Peter still had this man-pleasing, man-fearing tendency even after having a confrontation moment with Jesus. And so we'll look at this, that yeah, we're we're wanting to be transformed and we're wanting to repent and we're wanting to get rid of mindsets. But it's the grace of God that teaches us who we are. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am because of Jesus. 
Peter was flawed and seemed to have many flaws all the way through his life and ministry. Paul has a terrible history and, and didn't get everything perfect throughout his ministry. Maybe the issue with John Mark and the discussion was when, when Peter said, I'm not taking John Mark anymore because John Mark is weak. And he went off and took, took Titus and Timothy. We see moments where maybe that debate, that discussion, I believe it's with Barnabas, maybe that was about Paul being so fiery and so bold and so confident about what he wanted. And later on he says, yeah, John Mark is actually very useful to me. <laughs> Thank you, Barnabas, son of encouragement, that you didn't cast aside John Mark because we never would have read about him again. The grace of God teaches us to say no. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Our experience maybe have brought us to this point. But let there be a superior word from God that defines who you are. You may have messed up or been hurt and been hurt in a huge amount of ways. But you can be free in the gospel. You can say, this is my history. These are my weaknesses. These are my mistakes. These are the things that have hurt me. These are the things that have influenced me. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And Paul says, I don't let this grace come to me in vain. I am what I am by the grace of God. And this, his grace to me was not without effect. No, I would harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God. So grace comes and brings that identity but then we co-labour with grace and we say, I will not be defined by my past. I will not be defined by my most stupid day. I will not be defined by my weakness. I will not be defined by my limitation. I will not be defined by those things. I will be defined by the grace of God. I will let go of other things. I will work hard to co-labour with God. And yet not I, but the grace of God that's with me. And so over this next month, we're going to be looking at things like authenticity, letting go of what people think. We're going to be looking at, at being kind to yourself and self-compassion and letting go of perfectionism. We're going to be look, looking at um, gratitude and joy. We're going to look at faith. We're going to look at being creative people and letting go of compassion and um, comparison. We're going to look at the emphasis on play and rest and stillness and calm, and letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. We're going to be doing all these things, all these practices, but they're all going to be empowered by grace. We're going to be working hard. We're not going to let the grace of God come to us in vain. We're going to lay hold of it. We're going to co-labor with it. We're going to be in the yoke with Jesus. We're going to be pulling, and though he's going to be doing most of the pulling, we're going to let grace teach us to say no. And yet, at the end of the six months... At the end of this period of time, we say, wow, I've got so much freedom I never thought possible. We're going to say, yeah, it's not I, but the grace of God is with me. So we're going to adopt these practices and we're going to give ourselves to them. But we're going to say, you know what? It wasn't because we found some new practices. It wasn't because we got some new habits. It's because inside those practices, inside those resolutions, inside those life-giving priorities was the very grace of God, the very empowerment of God. That these things just connected me to walk with Holy Spirit. As I did these things, I was drawing on the life of God that is with me. You see, I want to finish with this. There are many books on self-help. Hundreds and thousands of them. You Google it. There are myriads of books on how to transform yourself. 
and they all level off at one point or another. You can get quite a long way changing your life through resolutions, habits and priorities. But we're talking about something that's infinite and eternal because we're connecting to God. These things can go beyond anything that the writer Brenny Brown could ever imagine because they connect to the life-giving king of the universe who is the one who sets the captives free. Who is the one who says, it is for freedom that I've set you free. Who says, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, the evidence will be freedom. There's a freedom in Jesus Christ that's not available anywhere else. There's a freedom in relationship with God that's not available anywhere else in the universe. And I would just leave you with that thought, if you don't know him, hear this, that he is so kind and so gentle and so compassionate and so good, and he can set you free. There's a life, there's a, there's a world in Jesus Christ, there's a new land of grace to explore. It's limitless, it's so huge. It's a new land with a new language called kindness and grace. You'll never get to the end of it. You'll never get to the boundaries and the borders of it. It goes on and on and on and on. It's like it's a narrow path to get in. You just accept that Jesus is Lord and there is no other way to the Father. But then when you get in, it is so huge. It's so limitless. And believer who already knows Jesus, do not substitute the limitlessness of life in Christ for religion and treadmills and hamster wheels are trying to please God. Embrace the life that's in Christ, the free gift of life, of grace, that comes through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't labour and strive and work for what is yours as a gift. These practices are not to get us to some place of labour. They are just ways to explore the freedom that is ours already. Amen.